Welcome back to the Psychopath Epidemic Podcast. My name is Cameron Riley. This is a podcast about psychopaths uh, and how they're running the world based on my book that came out early 2020, The Psychopath Epidemic. Very happy today to have a terrific guest on the show, Jack McCulloch. Jack is the author of a book called Secrets of Rockstar CFOs, and he runs an organization that teaches CFOs leadership skills, CFOs being chief financial officers, for those of you not in the corporate world and uh, let's just cut to the interview with jack yeah that sounds pretty good so um yeah my background's not terribly interesting but against all odds i've become recognized as a thought leader in the cfo community which you know people have known me since early childhood or even into my college years scratch their heads and have no explanation for how something like that happened nonetheless that's where i am so so tell us a little bit about what you do in the CFO community. Well, I am the president of the CFO Leadership Council, which is a national organization for chief financial officers. We actually have 27 chapters across North America, and we have a fledgling global community as well. We have members in every continent except Antarctica. We even have two in Australia. Hopefully uh, we can grow that with time. And uh, our mission is simply to empower CFOs. It's a group I started about 15 years ago when I myself was a CFO and I just wanted to form a community of my peers and didn't have any real ambition for it, but I apparently struck a nerve with some folks and we gradually spread into a pretty impressive global organization. And what, what kind of things do you uh, sort of help this community of CFOs do? Yeah, we have about uh, 250 live events per year and they can be on a broad range of topics Although generally we tend to focus on, I hate to call it the soft skills of being a CFO, but that is the phrase that's commonly used. But we tend to focus on things like strategy, leadership, communications, and team building. We don't have a lot of programs that are on technical accounting. I tell folks if they're looking to become a better accountant, we're probably not the right organization for them. But if they're looking to become a better leader, I believe we can help them achieve that journey. Okay. Well, that sounds like a good uh, good mission statement. Better leaders. That's what we need. That's what we all need. Indeed. Yeah, I don't know if the world needs a lot of better accountants at this point in time. Not to demean the profession, but there are a lot of people <laughs> with those skills. But the leadership's a little bit tougher to achieve. And you've got a book, I believe, Secrets of Rockstar CFOs. What's the number one secret of a rockstar CFO? Don't give away too much because people will need to go buy the book. We're just giving give me one secret. Sure. Um I would say probably, how about if I give you two, because I think there are two that are sort of atop the list. But the first one would be um, being a strategic partner to the CEO. So we're long past the days where a CFO is a backward-looking job. Uh, instead of the CFO, he or she's on the front lines partnering with the boss, helping make strategic decisions to guide their organizations. And then I, I think the second one that's equally important is ethical leadership. Uh, CFOs are expected to be the most ethical and most honest people in their company, and it's not enough to simply be honest in doing your own job, but it's re it's incumbent upon CFOs to really set the culture and be an example and create a culture where ethics are paramount. It's not just a buzzword within the company. And those two things, I interviewed a little north of 40 of the best CFOs in North America, and those are the two things that every single one of the people I spoke to talked about ethical leadership and strategic thinking 
Oh, interesting. Well, speaking of CEOs and ethical leadership, you, you came to my attention when I discovered an article that you wrote for Forbes, I think it was late last year, called The Psychopathic CEO. Uh, I just came out with a book called The Psychopath Epidemic, which is about psychopaths in power, in, in organizational power and leadership. Uh, I'd love to know a little bit about what motivated your article. Sure. Well, a few years ago, I attended a conference, and one of the speakers was an FBI agent. Uh, it's a criminal enforcement agent. If that's not commonly known in Australia. And uh, she actually spoke about the psychopathic CEO. And as she was giving her presentation, I had an oh-my-God moment. Uh, because she was describing a situation that I had experienced in my role as a CFO perfectly. And it just sort of became a little bit fascinating because at the time I thought he was a little bit of a, a quirky guy with a, you know, with a, a temper and a few other things that, you know, you just sort of worked around. But as she was describing psychopathic uh, leadership, I said, oh, my God, I, I worked for one. And in point of fact, I, I believe I probably worked for two. I am not qualified to make that diagnosis, but in my mind, in both cases, it's readily apparent. So, and uh, in the United States, a you know CFOs typically change jobs every three or four years. So, you know, say let's say you get your first job at forty and you retire at sixty-eight. So that's you know uh, twenty-eight years. You'll uh, you'll probably you know work for one or two along the way, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean there are there are not very many. Uh, thorough studies on how many psychopaths there are working inside of senior management, but there have been small studies done, and some of the numbers are quite stunning. I mean, there is suggestion in the financial services industry where it might be 10% of the CEOs are psychopaths. The financial services industry, for some reason, seems to attract psychopaths. I think it comes down to Gordon Gecko in Wall Street. I think when uh, psychopaths around the world saw Oliver Stone's film in the 80s, they went, there you go, that's the job for me. Um, One heck of a role model, huh? It, it yeah. is remarkable, <laughs> at least in the United States, and forgive me for interrupting you, but I've known a lot of smart people who think he's the hero of the story. Uh-huh. And, you know, I... It's like, what? And, you know, if there's a hero, it's, uh, I forget the character's name, but um, Charlie Sheen's father. Martin, uh, Martin Sheen, Sheen, yeah. yeah. Uh, but, you know, whatever his character's name is, if there's a hero of the story, that's the hero, right? I mean, you know, maybe Charlie Sheen redeemed himself a bit at the end. But, uh, yeah, people literally think Gordon Gecko is, is the hero of the story and a good role model. It's well, like, I, already then. So what can you I, say, right? I quote Oliver Stone in my book where he – He's uh, He travels around. I think he was in Australia a few years ago giving talks to the financial <laughs> services industry out here saying, you have to understand, he's not the hero. He's not the good guy. He was a, he was supposed to be a warning, not someone to emulate and follow. So, yeah, I think you're right. Right. But, yeah, he very much, when you think of the, you know, the, the psychopathic executive, geez, he personifies it. You know, he's, I mean, he's, he's, charismatic he's a tireless worker uh obviously a great strategic uh, strategist you know matches the details in fact if you recall the article i gave a description of somebody 
Um, it, it was that description was shared with me by somebody in law enforcement in the United States. And you would say, based on the script, you'd say, I'd work for this person immediately. And, you know, because of the charisma and the ability to get stuff done and the communication skills. And that's Gordon Gecko. You know, if you knew it was Gecko or somebody like him, you probably wouldn't really uh, want to uh, work for them. So. so are you able to share with me some examples mm-hmm. of what it was like for you as a senior executive working with a CEO that you think might have been a psychopath? What what was some of the um, positives and negatives of working with people like that? Yeah, I mean, you, you know, and oddly enough, it isn't completely negative. I would say, you know, there are um, they actually tend to be fairly successful, oddly enough, because, you know, because they will work tirelessly because they do have a certain amount of charisma and great communication skills and they can inspire people to work tirelessly with them. So, and, you know, just because they're psychopathic doesn't necessarily mean that they're evil either. Um, You know, people, it's very easy to think psychopathic and think Ted Bundy or somebody like him. Is is he well-known in Australia or known at all in Australia? Oh, yeah, he he is increasingly with the uh, recent documentaries and films that have come out on Netflix. I always say to people that uh, I think a lot of people still think uh, psychopaths are only serial killers and we probably have Hollywood to thank for that misrepresentation. I often say that the psychopaths are more likely to be the people running the movie studios or the people financing the movies than serial killers. But uh, yeah, now people know who Ted Bundy is. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Yeah, you're absolutely right. A lot of people do think they, they hear that and, you know, it's, it's Hollywood or whatever. But, you know, Bundy was in a way a, a classic psychopath. He actually, uh, when he was a young man, he was actually voted Citizen of the Year. And I mean, you know, a U.S. Senator thought he was the future of the Democratic Party in Washington State and whatnot. I mean, he just he was able to hide it tremendously. Yeah. But, you know, getting back to like I worked with a person. I actually remember um, he was he was actually the VP of sales. So he wasn't my boss. But uh, as a CFO, I you know discovered it, there were clearly a couple of people doing illegal practices. And I brought this to his attention wondering, you know, how widespread it was. And he just went ballistic, you know, denied it. And uh, he kept saying over and over, how dare you? He literally poked me in the chest with his finger and, mm-hmm. you know, told me these are professionals, highly accomplished. I had no right to make such an accusation. Turned out not only was I right, but he knew about it and was involved in the entire scheme. And I just remember thinking to myself, you know, Robert De Niro, Meryl Streep, they would not have been any more convincing than he was. I mean, after he spoke to me and, you know, with the finger in the chest, I'm like, okay, this is clearly a guy who, you know, knows nothing about, you know, if, if there's a scheme, he's certainly not involved in it. He wouldn't have, wouldn't have denied it that strongly. But in point of fact, he was. So, you know, the guy, I kind of liked the guy, but, mm. you know, just how easy it was for him to give such a forceful and strong lie was, you know, pretty scary. So, yeah. And well, you know, I, I worked with another guy. He just lost his temper a lot. So, you know, it, it can happen. So. Yeah. I, I, um, I worked at Microsoft for nearly a decade. And uh, one of the managers that I worked directly for at one point was a guy like that. Incredibly charming, uh, funny, cracking jokes. Uh, it seemed on the surface 
to be just a nice, easygoing, good time guy. But behind the scenes, a screamer, a ranter, manipulating people, telling one person one thing and another person the complete opposite. And at the time, I just thought he was, uh, you know, a bit of an asshole. It wasn't until I started researching this book that uh, I twigged and realized, oh, classic psychopathic behavior. And my theory is that psychopaths actually have some strengths and we don't want to lose those strengths necessarily. They might have important strengths. Uh, they're, they're the people that can maybe push through innovations. I mean, according to the Steve Jobs biography that came out just after he passed away, there's some evidence to suggest that Steve Jobs might have been a bit of a psychopath. And But I think most of us appreciate his his vision and his ability to get things done and drive through new products. But the challenge I think we have, Jack, is how do we main, how do we uh, keep the strengths of the psychopaths but limit their ability to do damage? B beyond a, a temper and this VP of sales and um, illegal schemes, have you, are you aware of any other negative traits of psychopaths in positions of power? Well, they have the, the main thing that you can look for, and I'm sure you came across this, is they are incredibly narcissistic people for the most part, uh, in addition to being intelligent, which empowers them a little bit. But they are as narcissistic as it gets. So if you uh, come across somebody who's got an incredible uh, sense of narcissism, thinks that they're you know really something special, uh, works tirelessly, Maybe your radar should go up a little bit and, you know, think about, hey, maybe this person is a psychopath because being aware of it for the first time, um, you know, is sort of the best defense against you. They also tend to be very manipulative. They typically can do so with a lot of different ways. But, um, you know, flattery is a tool that a lot of them use, um, even though they're quick to anger, they're clever enough to only be angry at the right people. They don't flash their anger in front of the boss as they're climbing the corporate ladder, but they might, you know, flash the anger in front of their executive assistant or another underling or something like that. So, um, but, you know, largely they use charm to manipulate people. And it's difficult to pick them out because you, you kind of like them or, you know, maybe you don't really know them, but you like the character that they're playing. And somebody did explain it to me. They're sort of playing a role. And, you know, the role is a, a character that will get them ahead. And if it needs, if they need to be charming and a great communicator and blah blah blah, they will do that uh, to you know get ahead because they're they're wonderful and they they deserve to be ahead and they should be running companies. Just ask them. So. Yeah, when you say they're narcissistic, I, I think you're absolutely right. And it, I mean the, the primary definition, what makes a psychopath, as I understand it, according to the medical literature, the DSM five, etc. It's a, it's an innate lack of empathy. There's something about the empathy center of their brain that for some reason, either a birth defect or in the cases of sociopaths, something traumatic that may have happened to them during their early years, the empathy center of their brain is malformed, it malfunctions, they don't really feel the same levels of empathy. They may have some empathy for some people in some situations or empathy for animals in some cases, but their empathy center doesn't work like a normal person's does. And consequently, the only person they care about is themselves. 
And as you say, they because they the ones that rise up through the ranks anyway. Not uh, not all psychopaths, I think, are highly intelligent, but uh, some of them are. And the ones that are learn at a very early age to mimic the sorts of behaviours that they think people uh, are going to respond positively to, and and they seem to. Th- think that they are inherently superior to the people around them. They think that they're winners. Now, I often say that anyone, all of us do, can do bad things from time to time. We can steal, cheat and lie and uh, uh, betray the confidences of our friends. But when we do that, we tend to feel bad about it. We have a sense of guilt that we carry around. We lose sleep. We worry about getting caught out. What happens if they find out? What will they think of me? What will happen? etc. Whereas psychopaths, when they do those things, not only do they not lose any sleep, they go to bed feeling that they're winners and that everyone else around them that lets them do these things are just losers. Because again, their empathy center is is broken. It just doesn't work properly. Yeah, you're absolutely right. They're capable of faking it. You know, they can, you know, bite their lip and, you know, there have been instances that, you know, they've even, you know, faked tears and whatnot, uh, you know, to pretend that they care about certain things. But, you know, they're, they're out there. They're, they genuinely, you know, do not. They care about themselves and getting ahead. And, you know, they don't mind crushing somebody along the way because the end game is for them to get ahead and to rule the world, or at least their, their slice of the world. So, yeah, absolutely. You know, there's something, you know, something a little off about them. They just don't have a conscience. You know, the science is relatively new in this field. Mm-hmm. and whatnot, but, you know, they're different than psychotics who actually have a diagnosis, you know, and I, I hate to say with a psychotic that it's not their fault, but there's an element of it that they can't control what they do. Uh, you know, a, a person who's deemed psychotic is less tough with reality. You know, they might see vampires or, you know, they just, they have hallucinations or they think their their kids are plotting to kill them when nothing like that is happening. So you can sympathize a little bit with a, with a person who's psychotic, but a psychopath, you know, they, they actually know what they're doing is wrong. They just candidly don't care. It, it doesn't matter to them as long as they get ahead. So it's, which is a little bit scary, right? If, if someone's that ruthless. So, you know, it's, it's one of those things like what's the best advice for a CFO? Maybe the best advice is to run, you know, do you really <laughs> want to take on a person who's that, that smart, that charming, that skilled, and utterly ruthless, and would think absolutely nothing of destroying your career and reputation. You know, think twice before fighting a battle like that, because your CFOs are generally normal people. They're not willing to go that far to win. You know, sometimes it's, uh, you know, it, the best thing to do is to report what your concerns are to the board of directors or company council or whatever, document it well and carefully, and, you know, recognize that you may lose your job because of this but you got to protect yourself too. So. Do you really believe there is a smaller percentage of psychopaths in the ranks of CFOs than there are in the ranks of CEOs? It would, it would seem to be. And, you know, part of the reason is, again, the vanity of psychopaths. Like if you want to sort of, if, if you have a giant ego and you want to be fulfilled every single day on a job, the best job you can have is, you know, unless you have incredible talent in other areas, is to be a CEO. You're on the front lines. You're the one, you know, sharing the good news with employees and stockholders in the community. 
and you're the one getting the applause. Now, the CFO, particularly lately, has become a more and more externally focused job, but historically, it's always been an internal job. So a psychopath might not be drawn to that type of thing. They're drawn to uh, public speaking is an area where they do a lot of big stuff. Uh, there are oddly enough attorneys. Uh, a lot of attorneys are psychopaths and a lot of CEOs are. But jobs that are a little bit more internal facing, not so much. And, you know, yeah. it's interesting, like, you know, attorneys are very internal facing, right? I mean, they're glamorized on TV all the time, at least in the United States. How many, how many legal dramas from movies and stuff? You know, how many TV shows they've written about law firms over the years? You know, dozens and dozens. I can't think of one that's ever been about an accounting firm. So, and, you know, there's a reason for that, right? So, that would be really compelling stuff. Maybe you and I can work on that. I'm sure there's a huge market for people that want to work, you know, want to watch CPAs work. So. Although one of the stories you know, that... in your country. One of the stories that I cover in my book, though, is the collapse of Enron, and it would appear to me from that story that certainly the CFO of Enron uh, would appear to have demonstrated the characteristics of a psychopath, as would a lot of the, uh, I think it was Arthur Anderson, that there was accounting firm that went down uh, with them who were supporting them in cooking the books. Now, again, like you, I'm not a clinical psychologist or psychiatrist, and I'm not able to... Uh, provide a clinical diagnosis of anyone, but I can say that uh, these people and these organizations seem to be exhibiting the kind of behaviors that I would associate with psychopathy. It seems to me that uh, um, whilst I think you make a good argument, there certainly have been instances of CFOs that have exhibited this kind of behavior. Yeah, it is interesting. I mean, there was a picture when Enron, you know, was on top of the world. Uh, you know, there's a famous picture of, um, I think it was, there is a very high ranking executive, maybe the chief operating officer, but she came to a company party riding an elephant. <laughs> As you do. You know, <laughs> yeah, there was a, a picture of her in Time Magazine or Newsweek. Who the heck would even think about doing something like that? I mean, you ride an elephant to a company party? Good Lord. You know, and, you know, these Come on, Jack, people, you're telling me uh, you've never done that? Uh, <laughs> well, you know, if I, if I had that kind of money, who knows what I'm capable of, right? But, uh, no, it's, it's just, you know, maybe if I had a lot of dough, I'd pull up in a Lamborghini or a Porsche or something. But uh, yeah, an elephant? Really? I mean, it's that type of thing. But... I, uh, I wouldn't say that I'm friendly at all with Andy Fastow, who was the CFO of Enron. But, um, you know, I've spoken to him a, a handful of times, and I don't know that he's a psychopath, but he he, he sort of just kind of got caught up in it and then sort of didn't know how to get out. And, um, you know, in, in his mind, you know, he he's, a, he's of the Jewish faith and very devout, and when he sort of he sort of didn't realize on his own that he was doing anything wrong. He actually spoke to the family rabbi and the rabbi's right. Really? I mean, he, he was kind of convinced up until the end that he hadn't broken any laws. Um, but sort of when he realized he had, he just got to the point, he didn't know what to do about it. You know, he's like, geez, do I put a stop on this or, you know, do I try to fix it? And, and, you know, unfortunately he tried to fix it and he spent some time in prison. So, but he didn't strike me as a, a fellow with a gigantic ego. He's just a guy that, you know, maybe he was led astray by people who were psychopaths and 
you know, maybe didn't have the strength to stand up to them and didn't recognize that it was going wrong until it was too late. So. Well, that's that's absolutely a possible scenario. And, and I talk about that in the book, like when you're faced, when, when if you manage to get a job in an organization with a psychopathic leader or leadership team or psychopathic culture, your options are relatively limited. I mean, you can quit uh, and say someone else's problem. You can speak up about the things that are going on that you think are unethical and probably find yourself managed out of the organization. Uh, that's what happened to me at Microsoft. Um, you can turn whistleblower either anonymously or, or publicly and try and reveal what's going on. Um, or, uh, you know, you can just go along with it and figure, well, I can't afford to lose my job. Or if I leave or get fired, someone else is just going to do it anyway. Depending on your own ethical and moral standards and your values, it might be quite easy just to go along to survive because you can't afford to lose your job. You don't think you'll get another job. And I think that's a completely human response to a situation. But I, I, I do think... You know, you said before that one of the best things for CFOs to do is, if they find a psychopathic CEO, is to run. Do you have any ideas about what somebody in in that situation might be able to do to protect themselves, but also prevent this psychopathic CEO and the organization? Quite often, an organization with a lot of money, a lot of influence, uh, from damaging. The, the the employees, suppliers, society in general? Is there anything that's come to you that says that there might be a way through this? Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of parts there. There's the one that's self-protection. But, of course, your primary duty as a CFO is to the stockholders. So, you know, unfortunately, if you see something like this going on, you have to consider their own needs first before your own. Um, so... You know, they need to keep that in mind. But a couple of things, you know, being a psychopath, it's not a crime to be a psychopath any more than it's a crime to have diabetes. You know, it is a disease. It's an unfortunate one, but they manifest itself in different ways. Uh, one of the CFOs I spoke to, you know, he she described the boss as a little bit, um, you know, a bit of a temper, but didn't she didn't think he was doing anything criminal, just manipulative, but you know, a lot of people are manipulative, but like her story was, this is a guy, he, um, he had a giant uh, picture of himself in his office, not himself with his wife or with his kids, just him. And uh, he had, you know, glass doors. <laughs> I'm sorry to laugh at this, but a, a number of the employees, according to her, actually saw him kissing his own. <laughs> so, you know, a little bit of an ego thing. Yeah. I mean, it, it's entertaining and whatnot. Um, <laughs> But, you know, it's not really reportable, right? You know, what do you, you go to the board of directors and say the boss, you know, kissed his own photo? They're going to say, well, isn't that interesting? Thank you. Goodbye. You know, but there's <laughs> other things, you know, if they're doing things, if, if they're lying to customers, if they're lying to stockholders and lying can mean, you know, withholding material information as opposed to, you know, actually saying something knowingly that's false. You know, the best thing here is to document it. Make sure you're right. And, you know, when you've got a strong enough case, you know, bring it to a trusted board member 
bring it to company council. And in terms of self-protection, it's probably not a bad idea to get your own attorney. Uh, you know, you do need to keep in mind that your attorney represents, or the company's attorney represents the company, not you. You may like them. They may have high ethics and whatnot, but their duties to the company. So, you know, if you're going to make this type of accusation, probably get yourself an employee before you do it to, you know, protect yourself in case things go south. But, you know, a lot of them, some of them are, you know, they just manifest itself in different ways. Um, one guy, uh, one CEO, according to you know, CFO I spoke to, uh, are you familiar with Vince McMahon from World Wrestling Entertainment? Yes. Yeah. Well, he, um, I don't know if he still does it, but years ago, he basically played a fictionalized version of himself within the world of World Wrestling Federation. And forgive my language, uh, he started, again, the character, not the real person. He started a thing called the Kiss My Ass Club, and he literally would make wrestlers and his enemies within the, you know, the world of professional wrestling kiss his rear end on TV. Well, anyway, this CFO told me that uh, the boss thought that was a good idea and was actually going to make some of the executives do that at the company Christmas party. Right. It's like, oh, he, it's like what? And, you know, that's he actually put it in an email yeah. and, you know, didn't think. And then, you know, it's, it's when uh, I'm trying to remember who told me that when I think it was a she when she said, my God, you're, you're kidding. He literally did not see anything wrong with it. Didn't understand why anyone would find that objectionable. Yeah. You know, that's something. OK, you take that to the board of directors immediately if it's in an email. Right. If, if he only says it, you know, maybe you need a recording <laughs> or something like that. But, uh, you know, that's something that'll get the company sued in a hurry. Right. Even to joke about that, it, you know, at this point in time, you, you know, it, it's. It is sort of funny, but within, you know, with your coworkers, it's not right. So, didn't you know, Vince you tell someone they're going to do that at the company party? You're going to get the company sued for millions of dollars. So, you exactly. know, yeah. usually the, the behavior isn't that aberrant. So, didn't Vince McMahon once have a fake throwdown with Donald Trump? Yeah, and you know, as an American, how proud I am to know that the president <laughs> actually participated in professional wrestling. Yeah. Certainly, you know, a high watermark that puts him in my book right up there with George Washington and John, John F. Kennedy and Abraham Lincoln. So I'm really proud of President Trump for, you know, having a fight with uh, Vince McMahon. So, and I think he, one of them shaved the other one's head. I forget how it went down. So, I think instead I, of... Uh... I, I think... Instead of primaries from now on, that should be, uh, it should just be wrestling. That's what the primaries should be. Instead of debates, it should, they should be wrestling. Yeah, they should fight each other. So, mm. yeah, the, the, the tougher candidate should, should get to be president, right? So, the, di the dirtiest yeah. candidate. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, the, the most ruthless one. So, um, but, uh, getting back to what you can do about it, one of the, if there's one thing that, I'm advocating the most. It's that organizations uh, need to bring in as mandatory uh, psychopath testing uh, for management. Mandatory testing, clinical environment, psychiatrist comes in, run by the HR department. Uh, the same, you know, the same way that you would do mandatory drug testing in some organizations these days. I think that's becoming more and more common is psychopath testing where you have a psychopath sit the PCLR test or something like that. The one that developed by Robert Hare to determine 
who inside of the organization has psychopathic traits? As a former senior executive, how would you feel if uh, that is something that w- was uh, mandatory inside of an organization you work for? Yeah, you know, it it sounded good to me. And then uh, one of the experts I spoke to, it, it's actually the same law enforcement agent. Um, and her feeling was that it would actually have negative consequences. And she told me psychopaths actually can pass lie detectors tests more mm-hmm. than like a normal person does. Yep. And, you know, do keep in mind, particularly if they're smart, well-educated, uh, they're manipulative as heck. They think nothing of lying. So, you know, you can give them a personality test, but most of them know the reason that you're giving the personality test and they know the, you know, finger quotes, the correct answer to give on these questions. So, you know, they sort of give the answer that they think will help them get the job or whatever, as opposed to the truthful answer. So in that sense, you know, let, let's say I'm a psychopath and you're not, and we have roughly equivalent skills and, and work ethic and that sort of thing. And we take a personality test and, you know, you tell the truth and, you, you know, you maybe acknowledge some of your weaknesses and some of your personality quirks come through on this test. But I'm actually intentionally lying on the test because I want the job. And, you know, I don't care if this, these folks want me to take a personality test to determine if I'm a good fit. I want the job. I'm entitled to the job. And I'm simply going to lie on these questions. So it actually gives the psychopath, you know, again, the psychopath is clever enough to figure out what's going on, which is a large number of them, an actual advantage in getting a job and getting a promotion. So it's a little bit scary sometimes. Um, you know, you're sort of trying to outsmart the smartest guy in the room. I spoke to a clinical psychologist on this show uh, last week who's got a background in working with corporate psychopaths, and he's actually just got an, an academic book come out with a couple of colleagues called Corporate Psychopathy, where he talks about the issue. Um, and, you know, I think there's this a couple of um, other sides to that. One is that obviously the tests should be designed in a way the, the 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 psychopath will probably know why the test is being run, but the test should be designed in a way where it's not easy to guess what the right answers are. Good psychology tests are constructed in a way where there's multiple choice and it's not um, obvious what the right answer is. There could be several answers which might appear to be correct. But if they've been cleverly constructed, it's not that easy to cheat your way through it. I think the second part of it is uh, I, I suspect that de- psychopaths don't really care at the end of the day what you think about them. They don't really care if you if they come out looking like a psychopath because, again, in their minds, so their, their character traits are a positive. That's what makes them a winner. That's why they're the CEO, why they've been so successful. And they think it doesn't really matter what anyone else says about them or calls them because they're all just pathetic losers anyway. And at the end of the day, the psychopath's going to win. Now, this clinical psychologist I had on, Nathan, said, well, yeah, it depends on uh, how important they think this test is. What's riding on it? How much is riding on it? If they they think that this could catch them out and could impact their position, then they will try harder to manipulate the result. 
if they don't think there's that much writing on it, yeah, they'll just be honest because they don't really give a shit at the end of the day. But I think I think you know, it's it's we need to do something to identify these people clinically before we can decide what to do about them. Yeah, I, you know that's uh, that's fantastic if they're a test designed to, you know, sort of prevent them from gaming the system a little bit. And you know, you're right. At the end of the day, they don't care what normal people think of them, other than they need to be able to manipulate the people. You know, they don't actually care if you and I like them other than if they need us to do something for them. And then, you know, if that's why they're so charming. But it's a mean to the end. Deep down, they don't care other than they're using us for a purpose. And if if we're likely to be helpful because we like them, they'll play that character. So, But the other thing, you know, about them that, you know, they do achieve success at levels that, you know, are higher than average. And it is to your point that they, uh, you know, because they lack empathy, uh, you know, and, you know, they're remorseless. And unfortunately, you know, sometimes in business, remorselessness is a strength. You know, take an example, you know, say you're going to close down a plant and that's going to be devastating not only to your employees and their families, but, you know, maybe 30 percent of a town works in that plant, you know, like an old mining town or whatever it might be. You know, a, a normal person, you know, maybe they come to the conclusion to do it and they'd hate doing it and they'd agonize over doing it and they would, um, you know, draw it out and make severance arrangements and things like that. But the psychopath wouldn't, you know, wouldn't let that slow them down. Once they made the decision that the plant's got to go, the plant's going to go. And, you know, they don't care about the employees and their families in the community. So, you know, as unfortunate as it is, there are instances that they do have an advantage over people like you and me that actually have a sense of right and wrong and actually care about people. I've got an example of one of the questions that I think should be in the test. I thought I'd run it past you. Are you prepared to play? Yeah, absolutely. While walking along in the desert sand, you suddenly look down and see a tortoise crawling towards you. You reach down and flip it over onto its back. The tortoise lies there, its belly baking in the hot sun, beating its legs, trying to turn itself over, but it cannot do so without your help. You're not helping. Why? I am going to starve if I don't eat the tortoise. <laughs> okay, see, good answer. That, that, that would be the only reason I, <laughs> I like animals. I can't imagine, but I, I eat them. And, you know, certainly, you know, even if I were a vegetarian, if I thought I was going to die from failure to eat the turtle, I'd eat the turtle. But I'm not a vegetarian. That's all I can come up with. I know there's no right and wrong answer, but uh, what does that answer say about me? I don't know. That's from Blade Runner. That's the the Voight Camp test that they uh, used on the androids in Blade Runner. So uh, I just thought that was a good example, Uh-oh. though, of a question where the answers aren't obvious, but uh, a, a, a yeah, good Harrison psychiatrist Ford would be able to tell. The... No, the real one. Yeah. Well, it's actually from the yeah. book, Do Androids okay. Dream of Electric Sheep? But it's one of the ones they used in the Harrison Ford film, yeah. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah, I don't. I saw that when it came out, but not since, so I don't remember that scene. <clears throat> interesting, yeah. So, cool. Uh, so, what would what would be your reason for not helping? If I may. <laughs> well, I I would say yeah, I I would help. That's just a nonsensical situation. I can't put myself in. I think your answer was better though. Uh, I, but uh, yeah, no, I couldn't even come up with a decent answer for that. The android in the question uh, in the film says, "What's a tortoise?" That's his uh, response, and then he shoots the questioner. So there you go. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't think of that. So, yeah. Um, so uh, I wanted to just uh, maybe finish up by um, 
quoting something from your article. You say, according to British psychologist Kevin Dutton, the top four career choices for psychopaths are CEO, attorney, media personality, and salesperson. Editors note the author has held three of these four roles. So, uh, you know, what does does that concern you that you're uh, holding these positions that are classic psychopath roles, Jack? Yeah, I mean, it's certainly for any of us, it's, it's tough to objectively analyze ourselves, I suppose, right? Um, I don't believe I have many of the traits of psychopaths, but uh, I certainly, you know, have a few of them. I will admit that I do have a, you know, a little bit of a, an ego from time to time. I hopefully it's nothing that gets in my way um, in terms of not only professionally, but within my personal life. I, I don't believe it does. Uh, but no, I'm not, the reason I that uh, I believe I'm not a psychopath is I do empathize with people. You know, I am the person that uh, while I might make the tough decision uh, in the scenario I gave earlier, maybe, you know, we conclude have to close this plant, got to do it, hate to do it. I'd feel awful about it, not only when I did it, but, you know, probably for years afterwards. And a psychopath wouldn't, you know, they just they wouldn't care about those people. So, yeah, while I think probably all of us have a little bit of traits, you know, we all, uh, you know, might have a little bit of an ego and we all might have the ability to manipulate people to our advantage from time to time. I don't think I'm too, too bad on it. And also, like when I was young, I was a little bit awkward, which is why I went to accounting and eventually became a CFO. So, you know, I, I became a public speaker and, and I'm writing Forbes and that's a great outlet for me, but it's not one of those things that was innate. It sort of came out sometime after my college experience. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, maybe I'm just nuts. <laughs> no, we'll, I... we'll leave smarter people to figure that one out. So. <laughs> but it's a good question. So. You sound okay to me, Jack. Um, well, listen, I, I want to thank you for your time. I, I really uh, enjoyed reading your article and I enjoyed talking to you. It's great to hear uh, people with your sort of background and position working with senior executives highlighting this issue. I mean, I, I'm trying to make the case with my book and with this podcast that psychopaths and positions of power and wealth is actually the biggest problem facing us today. All of the other problems that we have, uh, climate change, uh, wealth inequality, mm. the collapse of uh, 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 polite politics, uh, Middle East conflicts, uh, et cetera, et cetera, probably at the end of the day, I think, can be traced back to psychopaths making too many of the decisions. And if we could limit their ability to do harm, we could probably solve a lot of these problems a lot faster than um, they would be solved otherwise. So it's great for me to hear people like yourself speaking out. And um, I wanted to just thank you again for taking time out to chat. Hey, glad to do it. I enjoyed the conversation. Is your book available on Amazon, by the way? Yes, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, all of the major platforms. Okay. Well, I am going to buy a copy, and uh, perhaps when our paths cross, we can uh, chat about one another's books. Yeah, terrific. Well, I'd Mine's love to... not too big a book. My, my book, uh, my wife told me, it's a pretty small book. She, my wife said it's not a book, it's a pamphlet. <laughs> and uh, the, so, you know, it's like 5,000 words. So I'm guessing your book is probably a little bit physically larger than mine. But it's a fun book, I think. Uh, I think any CFO reads it will learn something and, uh, you know, get a boot out of it, too. 
Yeah, well, I know that we have at least uh, a handful of CFOs who'll be listening to this, so I hope they will all go out and buy a copy of your book, Rockstar, The Secrets of Rockstar CFOs, just to give it another plug. And people should follow yeah, you absolutely. on um, Twitter and uh, read your stuff on Forbes. It's good stuff. Wonderful. Well, thanks. Hey, have a great rest of the day, and uh, let's keep in touch. And on Twitter, you can find Jack at Jack underscore M-C-C-U-L-L-O-U-G-H, Jack McCulloch, and uh, look for his book online, Secrets of Rockstar CFOs. I want to thank Jack again for coming on and having a chat. Uh, You can get a copy of my book also on Amazon, The Psychopath Epidemic, and also check out my film, which has recently launched, Marketing the Messiah, marketingthemessiah.com. A secular historical documentary about early Christianity. If you like history, and if you like the history of Christianity or religion or just the history of Western civilization, I think you're going to like it. It's funny, it's fun, it's factual. About a dozen scholars in it helping me tell the story. It's a good time. Check it out. Anymore.